0: Okay, welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, Uh, brought to you by eSchool News. My name is Kevin Hogan. I am editor-at-large for eSchool News, and I'm happy to have you with us. Also very happy today to have uh, Mr. Terrence McGovern with us. Uh, Terry is beginning his sixth year at Kershaw County Schools in South Carolina, and it's his 25th year in education. Terry, you look way too young to be doing anything for, for 25 years professionally. Come on now. You're too kind. You're too kind. (laughs) Before coming to Kershaw in 2014, uh, Terry spent 19 years as a special education teacher, assistant principal, special education consultant, and an education associate at the South Carolina Department of Education in the Office of Special Education Services. So you may be getting a little bit of hint of what we may be talking about today (laughs) with his his background. Uh, He holds a BA in special education from Clemson, and, and a master's degree in special education from the University of South Carolina. Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with me today. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I want to start off uh, to kind of get, a, get the state of play that you have right now in, in your district. Uh, talk a little bit about, are you fully remote? Are you hybrid? What's the setup? Uh, and maybe a little background of where? I mean, now we're, we're looking at the, the one year anniversary, right? Can't, can't we it. sure are, yeah. So kind you of blank. Yeah. So where, you know, where were you BP before the pandemic? Uh, and then we'll go on and talk hopefully about uh, more glass half full stuff after pandemic, but get get started about where you guys are in your district generally. And then maybe more sure. specifically when it comes to your special education services.
1: Definitely. So um, to give you a little bit of background, Kershaw, the county itself um, last March um, was one of the early school districts with uh, with some fairly high cases of COVID uh, within the community. So we were um, quite possibly the earliest district shut down in the state of South Carolina. Uh, We had to move fast. Um, We're a a one-to-one district um, as it is. So we do have our students have devices, you know, K through 12. Um, Our special needs students have devices as well. Um, We were able to shift to an e-learning module, which is a little bit different, obviously, than than full virtual learning. We had set up our district in such a way that we could use some of our professional development and our student, just specific student days for what we call e-learning, which was had a little bit of asynchronous uh, instruction and those kind of things. Teachers had office hours where students could get on. And so we went into that e-learning mode quickly. Um, and that sort of uh, sustained us um, as we adapted uh through through the school year, we um had to redo some of our policies and procedures around you know uh i e p meetings around you know parent consent uh, you know what do you do when you have a parent need to sign off on something and you 're virtual uh, so we had to come up kind of on the fly with some some policies and procedures um, and we hit the summer and it was uh a shift to the idea that our school district, from the start of the year, which we started a little bit late uh, in September, we usually start in late August, but we pushed back a couple of weeks, we would offer our parents a face-to-face option, a live virtual option, and an asynchronous virtual option within the school district. Um, so I think we really did a good job of trying to uh, accept the challenges uh, with covid and um, to take a lot of mitigating measures Uh, our superintendent did a wonderful job of uh, doing some things like uh, when students would come in we had a fever system that actually they could walk through which was an infrared system to be able to check uh, temperatures we had isolation rooms in the schools Um, we had isolation uh, seats on the bus that were separated uh, we had uh, instructional assistants who were taking temperature uh, and, and bus assistants who were taking temperature when kids were getting on the bus and that kind of thing. Um, so we offered that face to face our teachers you know were were pretty pleased with actually being face to face We had to sort of adjust though with the virtual and the asynchronous virtual so that was an interesting transition um, we our schools were fairly independent in how they adjusted their scheduling. So we would have some teachers that might teach uh, a face-to-face class one period in the high school and then do a, a virtual class. Um, we had some that were taping their, their instruction and it was asynchronous and it was presented so that the students could, could you know adjust that. We, had, we were concerned obviously with our parents who had to work um, and who were at risk. Uh, our kids who were at risk. So we really just felt like we needed to give these options to our community. Uh, so we, we really hit the ground running at the beginning of the school year and we have pretty much maintained that model throughout the year uh, with the face-to-face live virtual and asynchronous. Um, we have noted that uh, by setting some markers where students or parents can declare that their, their children will return to face-to-face instruction um, we are able to start to balance out caseloads in the school. And so we've had some fluctuation and we've actually seen an increase. um, And I wish I could give you percentage, but we've seen quite an increase in parents who are now electing as the school year has gone on uh, to to shift to face-to-face learning. Uh, We're using social distancing as much as possible in our schools. Um, We are, you know, using masks. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're learning the whole new world, so to speak yeah. with, uh, you know, how we, how we space out and in, in going into the cafeteria, uh, you know, how we space out online, how do we play on the playground and keep distance? Um, how do we take mask breaks, uh, you know, get kids out when, when it's sunny outside and have them apart and taking mask breaks and doing all that stuff. So it's been, it's been a, a real learning process for
0: us. Now let's get a little deeper into the the special ed side of it. And this is the first time in this series of podcasts that we've talked about it. And I'm I'm excited to, because it seems that in special education, there are certain innovations that were already in place um, before the pandemic that people have used as tools during the pandemic, uh, such as telehealth uh, and things such as that, right? Uh, There are also other ways in which... um, uh, schools have uh, gone about bringing back special ed students to begin with uh, at, at the beginning, um, and it kind of started face to face before they were doing some something else. Talk a little bit about your experience with that from the special education perspective.
1: Yeah, um, from a special education perspective, it's been uh, it's been a learning process as well, similar to general education. Um, One of the things that we've really had to focus on is, again, just parent participation. Um, And I think previously there was sort of that mindset, and I think there's going to be a nice shift with this as we move forward, that mindset that we always had to meet in person, that everybody had to be together, that we had to assemble the IEP team with the appropriate team members, the related service providers, everybody, and we were going to meet in this single room. Um, as we've moved through and progressed through the pandemic, one of the things we've really found is that we can be in multiple places. So, for example, if we have a related service provider that provides services in four different schools and they can't be across town in one of their schools, they can jump on a Google Meet and they can participate in the IEP meeting virtually. I think that's been probably the the biggest um, probably the biggest thing that we've had occur as far as just that opening up the whole new world in that manner and i think parents have become more comfortable with that as well uh with with participation we still continue to have some parents that would prefer to meet face to face uh they feel more comfortable with that uh and and uh so that's sort of something that we've had to kind of adjust to as well particularly with social distancing in the schools. Um, and and honestly, it's been what's been a little difficult is we do want to be able to meet with our parents. We do want to be sure. able to have them come into the schools, but the reality is we can't always socially distance appropriately. So we may end up putting uh, a LEA representative and a special education teacher in a room with the parent, and then the general education teacher may be in another part of the school, and a related service provider may be in another. But, we, you know, so we're doing sort of mini-pod type activities with with IEP meetings um, and that's kind of where we are from an IEP perspective did you want me to talk a little bit about an instructional perspective or? yeah
0: sure that would be great okay. but before before you do let me uh dig in a little bit deeper because it, it's really an interesting uh point that you're making about the dynamics of using zoom in person versus remote and how some parents um are still uncomfortable with this as a parent myself I find this less um I, I don't know. Less, there's a certain intimacy that happens here, where you're not mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. it's from when I was a youngster and always having to go into the principal office and feeling a little, <laughs> feeling a little intimidated, right? Only come, for
1: good reasons,
0: right? You, only oh, of get, course. me to
1: get your prize. Exactly, for, for your of course. End of the week,
0: <laughs> but to, but just those in-person dynamics, especially in a school and with a student, uh, and I would assume when you're talking about IEPs, I mean th- those could be delicate conversations, mm-hmm. right? Um, that there's, also, there's almost a false intimacy doing some of the maybe the hard stuff versus Zoom, and then the in-person stuff could be after you've gotten the hard stuff done. I mean, is, is, have, you, have you thought about that, or have you experienced that at all? I mean, just the, the different ways in which you're communicating with parents. I mean, right, I'll even, yeah. I'll even ask yeah. you this. I mean, are you, are you communicating with parents more now because of Zoom than you were before?
1: Um. I, I feel like we are. And, I, and I'll tell you, a reason I feel like that, though, really is, is the fact that we're a one-to-one school district. And uh, we use a lot of, of different communication methods from our teachers. So I'll tell you that our teachers feel comfortable now. You know, the old note home is no longer the old note home. It's, yeah. Can you jump on to Google for a minute and let's Google Meet and let's talk about some of the issues that we're seeing that are going on? Uh, in the classroom, or how can, uh, another, another big plus with all of this is, is that school to home transition. Um, You know, we know how education can be sometimes where it's like, ah, it's the end of the day, I'll see you tomorrow kind of thing. What I've found, um, particularly with preschool students, um, is our teachers that understand developmental levels are able to really talk to the parents about what's going on in the home. And we've actually had some of our preschool teachers because they're phenomenal, all of, our, all of our teachers are, but some of them, will, they'll jump on um, at 3.30 in the afternoon. Parent will have a question about a developmental level if a student's nonverbal, but they're using, you know, pick symbols, and they want to know how they can, you know, help their child with a chore around the house or with toileting needs, and the teacher can literally get on and say, you know, this is how we do it in school. This is how you can transition at home. So um, that's been a huge benefit. It really has been a huge benefit of just trying to think differently and, and trying to use technology in a, in a different manner.
0: That's great. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Let's, let's go over to that instructional side now. What are, what are some of the things that you've seen there that uh, have been implemented that uh, you wouldn't mind seeing stick around once all this uh, madness is over with? I'll tell you a big plus for us. Um, and
1: unfortunately we've we've had to deal with this. And I don't know if this is a national trend, but it certainly is a trend in the state of South Carolina. And that is a shortage of speech and language pathologists. Um SLPs are amazing and we have really found in our district, and I would argue throughout the state of South Carolina that it's been difficult to get SLPs into the school system. I don't know what what the change is, you know. I, I you know, I I can't pretend that I that I know that, but um we have gone to the use of live virtual instruction. Uh, we, you, we actually work with Presence Learning. Um, it's a company that we worked with, we have had a pretty long-standing relationship with, um, and they've helped us to address some of the shortages. Um, they also have um, a proprietary platform, which is, I'll use the term Slick. It's, a, it's an amazing platform. It allows for uh, a speech language pathologist to have a student in front of them and possibly a student in the home setting and they can be interacting together in small group playing a game with a board spinner that's built in, you know, and then working on articulation sounds and, and and interacting in a small group in different locations and settings. Um, that has been huge for us. Um, and I think that we, I want to say that Kershaw County I I feel like we were a trendsetter with that um, because we we knew we had a shortage four or five years ago. We knew we needed to do something to address it. And the solution for us was to look at live virtual therapy. Um, The live virtual therapist wants the parents, you know, for the most part, once the parents get to know the therapist and, and can work with them and understand them, they become an integral part of the school, even if they're outside of the school, even if they're providing services to the student in the school from their home, or in the student's home from their home. So that's been huge. Um, I don't see that going away. I, I really think that when we look at related services um, and related service needs, that the use of virtual instruction and small group instruction is is will continue, um, at, at least in our district. I don't want to speak for all districts, but I, I know that that's something that we're going to need to continue to address over the years. Um, So I'd say from a, from a special education standpoint, the, the live therapy has been awesome. Um, We've used the platform for our own service providers. We purchased the platform and trained them on the specific platform and they have found that it's been wonderful for them. Um, Our occupational therapists are able to use, you know, hands-on techniques with drawing with your finger on a touch screen device um, tracing, those kind of things. It's just been, um, it's been a game changer for us. It really has.
0: Well, it sounds like that was a, um, that setup that you had BP was a, almost a dry run for the district in general. Once we got fully into the pandemic, right. What True. Are some the, it really, yeah, yeah, it really was. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about maybe some other things that, um, from, from your department, you think can also expand. Now I've talked to some folks when you talk about teletherapy, there's, I mean, there's also more general telehealth
1: mm-hmm, um,
0: right. counseling uh, as well as other uh, college counseling and things like that. Or do you think that this dynamic can replicate itself to other sort of uh, environments within a district? I do. And actually um,
1: I, I, probably can't speak to this as well as some other folks in my district can that are part of this initiative, but we are actually working with the University of South Carolina, I believe, um, to do some telemedicine and some telehealth with some of our students. Uh, and this has been a real game changer for us as well, because, you know, we have limitations with socioeconomic status and, and those kind of things and access to healthcare. So we are piloting some, some telehealth within our schools. And, uh, same thing with, you know, some of our, um, counseling as well, uh, to be able to access a doctor, to be able to come in into the health room with a nurse and, and get online with a doctor and have a doctor do an examination and talk with the nurse and walk through something and actually prescribe something that can help the child, um, is another, just, uh, it's just phenomenal. Um, it's way above where I thought I would be, uh, in, in, in education when i came into education, you know, 26 years ago. And yeah. to see the, the ability that we have to, to help our children and to help our families, is, it's phenomenal. Um, to, I think telehealth, like you just said, is, is another, another game changer, um, especially in the area of mental health. When you think of rural districts and rural areas that have difficulty with accessing appropriate and quality health care um, and mental health. Uh, to address yep. their needs, that when you talk about telehealth, you you talk about being able to get into some communities and really really help some people, and I think that's just a, a big plus. And I feel like, you know, for better or worse, schools are always going to be the ones that uh, we we take it in. You know, we're going to deal with the health issues, the mental health issues, the the learning issues, and that's what we're there for. You know, that that really is how I how I see education. Um, is you got to have the passion to be pretty much everything uh, in your, in your community. Cause right. you're going to be, you know, right. you're going right.
0: to And you know, the, and again, trying to look for silver linings in, in all of this, but, and also I hear the, the the phrase that, you know, this has accelerated a lot of technologies and a lot of techniques that may have taken 10 years to to come about is now taking one year or less to come about. And that the, the telehealth certainly seems to be in, in that sort of, um, and that's some sort of situation where, you know, maybe four years ago when you're trying to convince the school board that you need to spend X amount of dollars on putting in this telehealth network, that there might be some hens and haws. Uh, do, you, do you see any more of a general resistance to the use of technology amongst parents or the wider community after what we've just gone through? You know, I, I don't but I, I but i do want
1: to say this i do want to preface this okay I, when i say i don't there what we've learned through the pandemic is you can't replace a teacher in a classroom and being in a classroom with other students um you know i think there's you know there's always been that idea from some to push the idea that you know a computer in a hand and a kid can learn anywhere and that kind of thing what we found through the through the pandemic is that Ideally, we want kids in schools and we want kids interacting and we want technology to be a product that just helps them to access and to learn, but not to be the product, Um, you know, sitting in front of a computer doing computerized instruction all day is, is I, it's not going to give the children, the, the social interaction they need, the, you know, the, the struggles that we have to get along with others and we have to learn how to function together in, a, in school, which ultimately means we learn to function in society as contributing members of society. Um, so while technology is, is phenomenal and while it is a game changer in many ways, um, that idea of the classroom and the teacher and the students together interacting, small groups, you know, problem solving, those kind of things, uh, there's no replacement for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? so it, it's, it, it's not an either or question. It's, it's both. <laughs> you want it both. is both. You want both, right? You got it. It's yeah.
1: both. And I, and I do think that, um, you know, uh, when we talk about uh, community access to broadband, you know, there, that's a, that's a great equalizer that we're seeing now, you know, it it, it makes a difference when a child has, has, Broadband in the home, and another child doesn't. Um, so yep. there's a, there's a there's an equity issue there that w- that needs to be considered yep. as we move forward in the future, and we look at more, um, you know, the, the use of technology and and you know just use of technology in the home.
0: Right. Well, Terry, one for me. I have to say usually when I have these uh, these conversations, I I try to finish up with one last question uh, to kind of give a positive glass half full. But I, I, I kind of feel like our whole conversation was that. <laughs> somehow, somehow, during this time of pandemic, um, you were able to bring out some of the, the positives of what's happening, both specifically in, in special ed as well as the, uh, the wider district. And as I said to my wife, when I had these conversations, I immediately want to move to your district. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> be a part of right. So I, I, I really appreciate your time and, and your insights. And I think it, it's going to be a real, uh, really helpful for, for our audience. So thank you. Kevin, thank you so
1: much. I was honored to be here and and to get to participate with you and anything I can do for, for educators, you know, that's what we're here for. We pass it on.
0: Very good. Well, thanks again. Yes, and, and thanks for everybody for watching and or listening or, and or reading. <laughs>